Hey, what is going on, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student. And today, I'm once again joined by my good friend, Martin Bamey. Martin? Oh, hi there. What are you thinking of the uh, your new cushy setup? Well, it's pretty cool, but it's also weird. How do you like your uh, very comfortable podcasting chair? Well, that's an improvement. You're like in a giant recliner, and yet you're like on the edge of it trying to sit with the best posture ever. Yes. It's kind of weird. I am a very posture-driven man. Yeah. But uh, I, I wanted to paint a small picture with words for our listeners because the setup has changed. One being because we left our poker table over at our friend's place. Whoops. Like a month ago or so. Was it that long ago? Was it? I went to California. I went to VidCon. Oh, God. I might have And it was like there was at least a full week before that. So it's it's been there it's for be at, at least, least two like, weeks. Yeah. So that's gone. But also... For the longest period of time, I have been really annoyed using this particular mic that I'm speaking into right now for videos because this mic is designed to basically be eaten by your mouth and that's great for singing, that's great for podcasting, but when you make a video, you want the mic out of frame and it really limited what I could do with videos because I had to like basically zoom way out of my face. And then have the microphone oh, the just at a right, frame. Right there. Yeah. And I mean, with, with any microphone, you want it as close to you as possible to get the best sound. But with a dynamic microphone like this, you're really not going to get good sound unless it's really close. So I just bought a shotgun mic uh, for any of the geeks in the audience. So I got the Rode NTG4 Plus, which just came out. Letters. And yeah, letters. You are using it right now. Yeah. <laughs> because number one, we don't have the table to put your other mic on. And two, I tested it last night and I was like, Damn, this sounds good. I actually, I was not expecting it to sound as good as this mic, but I did some tests and it honestly sounds really, really good. And it's like over your head right now on this crazy boom pole. That, With all uh, the bonuses of looking like a nightstick. If a yeah. robber comes in here, I'm going to grab this mic first. Well, I almost want to get like a sound guy now so he can have it on the boom pole and then he can like accidentally have it come down and hit me in the head during a shot. Oh, let's so that get, I can have that as like, like a an blooper. intern that's going to high school or something. Like a really not skilled intern? Yeah, like the kind that's going to comically <clears throat> hit you in the head with it occasionally. Get the mic out of the frame, intern, and Louis, go get what me a doing? donut. <laughs> his name is Louie. I guess so. <laughs> I guess his name was Louie. It came to me in a dream. I'm trying to I'm trying to think if I knew anybody in high school named Louie. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever known anybody named Louie, actually. That means we need to find one. I knew a guy in high school named Willie, but not there was no Louis. I think there was a Louis. There's only one Louie, and he is the one we must hire. If your name is Louie... To hold this pole. Then <laughs> email us and become our sound guy. Don't do that. I don't I don't even own a holdable boom pole yet. Yeah. Well, I was looking into it, and um, there, I found this guide. It was like, here's how to set up your own uh, sound system with a shotgun mic without needing a sound guy. And it's like, all right, you buy the holdable boom pole, and then you buy like this little weird hook thing that looks like a colonoscopy device or something uh and that basically holds the boom pole for you and then you got to buy a c-stand to screw that into and i was like this is stupid there has to be a one piece boom pole thing and then my friend caleb wojcik who is the video guy expert on all things video and camera related was like yeah it's the manfrotto whatever my bob oh hey and, that's uh, a bought it i know that brand yeah because they I... make tripods yeah my photography teacher keeps talking about them mm-hmm they make very high quality tripods that are very expensive. So, which is why I did not buy a Manfrotto for my video tripod because the Manfrotto ones are like $300. 
Yeah, fair enough. I think you can get cheaper ones than that, but like the the ones the pros really like, because once you get into higher end, it's like, oh, you buy the tripod and then you buy the head that mounts to your camera. Well, it's like my like my teacher was telling me these things get super expensive, and at least from a photography angle, I'm sure it works exactly the same in video. But you buy a three, four hundred, five hundred dollar tripod to hold your ten thousand dollar gear. Yes, and if it's not that, then the the proportions really need to go down. It's really true. Yeah, yeah. Once once you get up into higher <laughs> higher gear, like higher core gear, like your camera and your lenses, you just kind of have me to... a year to buy a new camera. I'm not gonna put it on like a fifty dollar Walmart tripod. That's yeah, not it's happen. really true. When I was at VidCon, a lot of people were talking about that kind of stuff. And they were like, well, Tom, you're kind of lucky because you only shoot in your room. So you don't need like super robust gear because like a kindergartner is not going to run through your frame and knock over your camera or something. I remember I went to I went to like the I don't know. There could be. Okay. I don't Hopefully not. But (laughs) I went to a session at VidCon. It was like how to drone. And it was all about drone like shooting drone footage and it was the guys from the Devon Supertramp channel and they were telling the story about how they had a red camera and red is a brand and they make cameras that are literally $50,000 so they have like this $50,000 rig oh. on this I think it's like a $4,000 drone and uh the battery just cuts out in the middle in like midair for some reason so it just like starts dropping and That's I think horrifying. they were able to somehow salvage it. They like catch it or something or did it just hit the ground? Um, they run and jump. I want to say that it, it like at the last second came back online. Like it wasn't like it actual ran out of battery juice. It just some, some malfunction killed the power. So I think they were able to get it running before it hit the ground, but they really got scared from that. That is a business threatening catastrophe. Yeah. Well, there was another one where they were in some like ravine lake or river in utah or something like that and uh they had a smaller drone they had a smaller camera but still like a you know three thousand dollar camera and he he suddenly realized like oh crap there's almost no battery left so fly back it's either going into the water or my my option here because i don't want to like try to maneuver over the boat and then have like this spinning blade thing of death fall onto my crewmates here so he tried (laughs) to like pitch it into a rock face and he was like, well, the drone's going to die, but hopefully I can stick the drone so I can get the footage off the camera. And he does it and it just barely gets stuck. And then they're coming to get the camera and they just see it wobbling. And then so we had to sacrifice the drone. Had to send the drone on like a kamikaze mission. To that's, save that's what he tried. Yeah, he was military. Like, I can't. Yeah, he's like, I, I guess can't. They are uh, drones. That's why military strategy makes sense. Yeah. So. All he was concerned with was getting the footage. Unfortunately, before they could reach the ravine, it dislodged and fell into the lake. So, oh, luckily they had brought another camera and another drone because I think their one rule was like, it's not a matter of if, but when you will crash your drone. It just will happen. Yeah. Oh, my God. That reminds me. Before I went to this drone thing, funniest thing, we were in the Marriott and we're probably on the 16th floor, I think. So we're sitting out on the deck just chilling the morning before one of the sessions started and we see this drone come up. And someone's flying around. I can't see who the operator is or where they are because we're really high up. But whoever they were, they were getting like really confident and cocky because they just zoom the drone as fast as they can towards the next hotel. And then they try to pull up at the last second. Oh, no. So like, And <laughs> they crash the drone into the <laughs> building. And then it falls down. It gets lodged in like the 20th floor balcony. <laughs> and they're just they're just like, oh. So they lost their drone. Don't get it cocky, It was really kid. funny. That's... <laughs> wow. 
I immediately thought, oh God, this is Casey Neistat, but I don't think it was him. It would be really funny if it was him though. I have to check his, his, uh, his channel. Anywho, that was, that was a lot more exposition about VidCon than I was planning for. Today's episode, dear listener, is not about video stuff. It is actually, we're going to be talking about what to do when you either find that you're behind or that your grades are not in the place you want them to be and you want to recover. So it's basically like how to come back from having your grades tank, how to save your grades, I guess is the best way to put it, right? Yeah. And this was your idea. Yes, so indeed. I've got some ideas. I know you have like a whole outline of cool stuff. Before we get into it, I need to make a quote unquote correction about an unrelated topic. So we did Path to College part two a few weeks ago, and that was all about paying for college. And part of what we talked about in that episode was the FAFSA, which is the free application for stu- federal student aid. Uh, now, I I wasn't exactly wrong. We said that you can start filling out your FAFSA January 1st, and then the deadline is June 30th for the next school year starting like in August. That actually is changing starting, I believe it is the 2017 school year. So if you are filling out a FAFSA to get aid for 2017 to 2018 school year onward, basically they're revising the rules so you can start filling out your FAFSA in October of the previous year. It's October 1st instead of January 1st. So that's actually awesome. That's a lot because nicer. you have much more time to fill out your FAFSA with, with respect to the school's priority deadlines. Like for our school, Iowa State is March 1st. That only gave students two months in the past. Now it's going to give them five. And another change that goes really hand in hand with this, you're going to be able to use your tax information from an earlier tax year. So for the 2017, 2018 school year, you get to use your 2015 income and tax information instead of 2016. So basically there's no more like frantically trying to get your parents to fill out their taxes and get them done in February. So you can fill out your FAFSA in March and all that jazz. You're going to be able to use the previous years. So ideally come October 1st, you should be able to fill out in completely accurate detail your FAFSA, get it in far ahead of time. You know, these are the kind of student aid reforms that I like I like seeing. This is actually a big deal. Some people yeah. got to wait. Their parents' companies don't give them the stuff soon enough, and they'll miss out. Mm-hmm. But this actually completely solves it. Yeah, so, uh, so... more people should be able to get the aid they need. If for some reason Obama's listening to this... Brofist to you, thanks, man. Thanks, Obama. Thanks, Obama. Thank you, seriously. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to get that out there. I was thinking about like changing the Path to College episode to just making a change to it. I might still do it, but for anybody who listens to these episodes all in a row, like you're going to know now, and hopefully your school should let you know. Like I would imagine the school is probably the best yeah, I would hope distribution. Somebody. But yeah, I did not know about it until we put out that episode and someone on Twitter informed me of the change. So we weren't wrong because it's still technically the old rules, but starting in October, which is like five months from now, it's going to change. So keep that in mind. Get your FAFSA done early. So moving on, we're going to get into the main topic of this episode, which is how to save your grades. I wanted to tell a story for this because I actually had like half a video script written out. So when did you take Algebra 2, Martin? Algebra was that like 11th grade or 10th grade? Do I even remember? That's the real question. 10th, maybe? Yeah, it was 10th for me. All I know is I I know most of my high school math classes were punctuated by some weird policy the teacher had. I think my trigonometry slash pre-calc class was pretty normal. Like the teacher was like, 
You get your homework in on time, you know, good, same. I've already told you at one point about my calculus teacher and his ridiculous extra credit policy during my senior year, which was literally you could get extra credit points for saying hi to him in the hallway. Oh, yeah. So we basically stalked him. My algebra two teacher didn't have quite as insane a policy for extra credit, but she would let you turn in all your assignments at the end of the year. So like homework technically had due dates, but if I remember correctly, if you didn't get your homework in on time, there were, I don't think there was really a penalty at all, as long as you got it in before the final exam. And I remember like this one kid in our class who was like super emo and had like the worst attitude ever, didn't care about school. He would never do his homework. And I remember him coming in on the last day of class with like 18 assignments. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I did all of these last night. So this is an example of being really behind and having to do a lot of homework. Wait, did you say you've done that before? Yeah, a lot. (laughs) For what? For what class? When I went to community college, about half of the computer courses I took were taught by the same guy. And that that was the policy. So I had I had a couple weeks near the end of every semester. I think the max amount of assignments I did during that period was like 43. Oh, my God. It wasn't fun. It was a horrible idea. Okay. But, but yeah. So you're clearly the expert in this arena. Well, I'm the expert <laughs> at not learning my mistakes until it was too late. Yeah. Because I did it each semester. I didn't actually learn after the first one. Okay. I think to, to kind of build some structure here, I think this episode is going to have kind of two parts to it because there are two problems here, I think there is the problem of you're way behind. There's just a bunch of stuff you don't have done. And then there's the different problem of you're probably caught up, but maybe you failed a bunch of assignments. uh, You failed a test. You're way behind in your learning. And now you're trying to save your grades. And it seems like you're our resident expert in the first problem. (laughs) It was an accident. I don't think I ever had any teachers who had that policy, like except for that one math teacher. And I never took advantage of it because I figured... I don't want to have a night doing 18 assignments in my future. Like, that sounds horrible. So I just always did my math homework. Plus, my parents expected me to get my homework done. So there was also that. But uh, tell me, oh, wise one, how did you do 43 assignments in two weeks? By hating myself for two weeks. That's nothing. Absolutely nothing. But those assignments is exactly what happened. It was not good. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit further. I mean, did you were you able to get all 43 done? Yep. Well, occasionally there would be one, one or two assignments where I I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. So I just said, you know what, if I get like 41 out of these 43, that's not going to matter. I'll still get an A. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ignore those because they're holding me back. And I'm going to do the ones I know I can do. And I'll look at those later when the others are done. Did you have a process for like triaging the assignments, figuring out which ones are most important or was it just like linear? A lot of them were kind of the same level of importance. So it was more of a quantity. I need to get a certain number of these done. So just go. Yeah. So just sacrifice literally all free time every weekend. It doesn't exist because I made mistakes. (laughs) So you basically took like what I like to call the Hulk method. Yeah. Just brute force the entire thing. And I mean, to be fair, it worked. It's Mm -hmm. just I had to hate myself for a little while. Right, right. Okay. Um, That reminds me. So I want to talk about how to do this in a smarter way. Ouch. Uh, Yeah. Well, hey, man, you were in community college. This was a long time ago. 
you learn from your mistakes, I would bet. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. Except for editing this podcast at like 1 a.m. <laughs> see, I haven't learned anything. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about triaging. Because when you find yourself in a situation where you have a lot of catch-up work to do, you can't always reasonably get it all done. And there is a saying out there, uh, and it goes, good, fast, cheap, pick two. Which basically means you can get something done well, and you can have it done quickly, but it's going to cost you a lot. Or you can have something done quickly, and you don't have to pay much, but you're going to get a really bad thing. Or you can have it done really well, and not pay a lot, but it's going to take a lot of time. Because either, you know, like shipping, right? You can pay nothing and it'll ship slower. Or you could teach yourself how to do something really well, but it's going to take a lot of time for you to do it instead of paying someone else to do it. And I think this really applies to your schoolwork because good good and fast, they're obvious, right? Good is a good job on your assignment, 100%. That's the definition of good. And then fast, obviously you're getting it done quickly or not quickly. Now, cheap is the one that some people get hung up on when you use this metaphor because they're like, well, I'm not paying money to do my assignments. But I think cheap is a is still it still works here because money is just a quantified measure of value and value is usually human effort. So when you're doing your homework, you either invest a lot of time or a huge expenditure of effort to get it done in a short amount of time or you can balance them. But when you're behind and you've got a lot to do and you're no longer able to, you know, spend the entire semester getting things done. Uh, you come to just this this fork in the road where either you literally cannot keep doing what you're doing and catch up, and there's only so much effort that you can expend because you've still got other things to do. So at this point, you need to say to yourself, "I can't do everything, so I have to make a smart decision on what I have to give up." Now, the word triage comes from like wars, uh, medical doctors and wars have to say, okay, we can't save everyone. There's all these people dying. So which ones are we most likely to be able to save? Which ones are the most serious injuries that require the most immediate attention? And they make a list basically saying, all right, take these guys first, fix them up, take these guys later. These guys we just can't save. And that's what you got to do with your assignments, I think. So what I would do if I was behind and I have 43 assignments, number one, I would, I would ask myself, which of these has the most effect on my grade in an absolute sense in terms of points, but also which of these is going to be most important for my learning and test performance. Oh, that's a good, that's yeah. a good aspect too, because you can't see that a lot of mm -hmm. what I did in, in Iowa state was for certain classes, I would do a, a ton of syllabus math, find out which of these assignments do I need to get an 80 on to reach my achieved goal of still getting an A in this class. I can skip this one and it'll be okay, but I can only skip one. So it needs to be one that isn't going to teach me something important and I don't have time for. So yeah. there's a lot of strategy involved. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I think it's good to sit down and do some pre-planning instead of just saying, okay, I have assignments one through 20. I'm just going to sit down and do one through 20 because maybe 13 was just some side tangent that your professor was interested in, but it's not going to be on the test or it'll be underrepresented on the test. Or maybe... You know, one of them, in your case, you said all 43 were basically the same. Yeah. In, points, in these right? particular classes, they were mostly just a homework assignment mm -hmm. worth of points. Okay. So like maybe in that case, there's a couple subjects you're already really strong on. And then there's a couple that you're not like 
I wasn't paying attention during these classes, so I don't really know what the difference between a star and a ring network is. Okay, well, I would I would want to focus my effort on those. That way I'm prepared for those topics on the test as well. Because, I mean, in most college classes, my assignments were worth 20% at most. Yeah. And then tests and big projects were the majority of my grade. Yeah, so in that case, making sure you were prepared for that test on the parts you skipped mm -hmm. is way more important than getting the same amount of points for not trying for five minutes. Yeah, exactly. So... I guess the big point here is, is go through all of your assignments and make a plan, kind of prioritize each one on its uh, its value, both in a sense of points and in a sense of your learning. And honestly, it may be a good idea just to go to your professor. Like it's not really going to hurt you to tell them, hey, I'm I'm behind for whatever reason. Could have been sick, could have had to travel or you could have been lazy. Um, I need to know what's where should my effort go right now? I've got these things to do. You know, what do you think is most important for me to learn for the test and uh, etc.? Because, I mean, they're there to help you. And I think professors know, like, sometimes you're just not going to get things done. So that's what I would do. That also reminds me, actually. So I was talking to my friend Lauren, who helps people with SAT and ACT test prep. And at VidCon, we were talking about, like, how the SAT, or actually ACT for me, went and I remember telling her I didn't get the math portion of the test done because I ran into, I think it was like the third to last problem and I had five minutes left and it was wanting me to calculate like 15 different angles. It was like a ball bounces across the room like 15 times or something like that. And I realized I don't think I can get this done. And I stupidly tried to calculate the entire problem. And what she told me is they actually purposely design the tests especially the math one to have a like a really difficult and hard and long to solve one near the end but not actually at the end so it's kind of designed to make you tripped up so it's actually a better idea to jump to the next question have an overview look at the test to see can i get the last two questions done and if i can i'll skip this one for now go do those and come back yeah because those two will be worth more mm-hmm if it's just a multiple choice kind of kind of thing. Yeah, I can't remember if the ACT is one of those tests that docks you for wrong answers or not. I'm not quite sure, but I do know it's not one of those tests that weights some questions more than others. So you might as well get the ones done that you can get done. So I guess the main principle I have here is to do some overall planning and triaging and prioritization before you really dive in. And from that part, from that point, then it's time to do what you did, which was just to suck it up and destroy your free time, I guess. Yep. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it while you had it. it did you it have to it. study for your tests while you're also doing that? Uh, in those particular classes, I didn't do a lot of studying. But okay. That's the homework did a very good job, I think, of mm. preparing me to do it. Okay. Have you so. ever had like a, a time where you were behind on work? from the past, but you also had like current work as well? I'm sure that that has happened, but I'm not remembering a specific class off the top of my head. So what would you do if you were in that situation? Like how would you, how would you schedule your time? Well, once again, I did this a whole lot. So I would go, I would go through some syllabus math and find out what's more important first of all. But also you've got to ask yourself, if these old assignments are there and this new assignment is telling me what's on the upcoming exam, is that exam cumulative? Because if it's not cumulative, 
I can ignore the old stuff for now and or admit mm. that I can't get it all done. And this new topic is way more important. But if it's a cumulative exam, you need to know all of them. So then it's more a matter of which yeah. topic do you need to know more? And do you get docked points for being late? Because maybe you've already been docked the max amount of points on that other one. And you can just turn it in whenever. It's You're not getting any better. But you don't want to also lose points on a new assignment. That's true. Actually, I didn't think about that. It definitely depends on the how whole... the teacher does their grading and how yeah. they weight everything. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't thought about the fact that some tests are not cumulative. So yeah, if you've got old work that isn't going to be represented on the test, then its value to your learning, at least in terms of exam performance, is low. And I mean, it's, you know, it's valuable to your learning in general, but you can always go back and yeah. kind of backfill from there. Yeah, because the thing is, your classes are timed. They're a semester long, mm -hmm. generally, unless your school does trimesters or something. But you have a time limit for performing on the exam. If you want right. to really learn that topic before you take the following class, you can do that afterward and just admit, yeah, I have to take some of my summer because mm -hmm. I messed up. But at least I did well on the exam. Yeah. Okay. So once you have your list of everything that needs to be done, you have your priorities, I would recommend kind of coming up with a plan of attack for completing that work. But one thing that I learned recently is our brains work better when we kind of interleave our study between different subjects. So rather than saying, I'm going to spend the next six hours just blasting my way through this math assignments, it would probably be better for you to maybe work for an hour or two on math and then jump over to another subject, even if it's, you know, currently assigned work or uh, past assigned work, just give your brain a bit of a change of pace. And not only is that going to improve your learning, which should hopefully help you do better on the exam, you're going to run into that mental block a lot later down the line. So you're preventing your burnout. Yeah, this is a period of time where you are flirting with burnout because you're expending so much effort, you know, necessarily the time crunch has happened, but you have to keep in mind that you have your own physical limitations and mental limitations. Yeah, you can't necessarily just say the next 48 hours I won't sleep. Mm -hmm. There will be assignments and nothing yeah. more. And don't forget to take into consideration what kind of rest your body needs for the exams. So if you are in a crazy situation where your teacher's like, yeah, you can turn in everything the day before the exam, it's not going to do you much good to spend all night before your final exam working on your assignments because then you're going to come in and fail the exam. So back going back to triage, you may need to sacrifice several assignments to make sure that you are properly arrested and prepared for that exam. Yeah. Because it probably counts for more than those assignments did in the first place. So keep all that in mind. I want to move on to what happens if you find that you're just not doing well in a class. Like you're not understanding it or it's... You're not understanding it and your grades are bad. Maybe so maybe you maybe failed the test or something. Is it too late at this point? Is it too late according to the syllabus to make your grades get back? Yeah, because at this point, a couple of new variables come into the equation. Number one, you're not trying to finish up a bunch of work. So you're not throwing yourself into a time crunch with assignments but you may need to do some extra review to better your understanding of all the content that you've already gone over in the class. So at this point, I would say potentially hire a tutor or really make use of office hours. But there is another option, and that is the option to potentially drop the class. Yes. So I, I can tell you, I definitely dropped classes in college, one of which was my Java programming class. 
because I was all big shot, uh, overconfident, and I realized when I got into school that, hey, the computer science student's version of Java does not have a prerequisite, whereas the business student's version of Java, which is an easier class, does? And the prerequisite was like some weird Microsoft Office class? I was like, this makes no sense. The only reason it's a prereq is because business students don't know how to computer, apparently. So I signed myself up for the computer science student's version and promptly just get my ass handed to me. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. The professor was awesome. You know, I can't fault anybody. I, I don't even think I can't even fault my own effort. I just think like the mental architecture for programming wasn't there. And they were, I think they were expecting a little bit higher standard yeah. of students. They didn't have a literal prerequisite class wise, but I'm sure they yeah. had a, a mental assumption of what you have done. Yeah. I mean, he, like, he just starts, you know, starts right in on here's what a method is, here's what a class is. And I just, you know, the, the foundation wasn't there for me. I had been doing stuff in HTML and CSS for a long time and figured, oh, that's the same as coding and, you know, programming is the same as web development. Well, not really because HTML and CSS don't make use of those logical classes. Yeah. They're just kind of programming syntaxes. Syntax. They're yeah. Not, yeah. HTML is like, it's, it's like a structure. Exactly programming. Mm -hmm. They're just similar. Yeah. And I mean, it takes a while for these concepts to become embedded. It's the same thing with math. Like it's all very logical, but it just takes your brain a long time sometimes to come to terms with everything that you need to understand before you get into a certain level of class. And I wasn't ready for it. So I actually dropped that class and just ended up taking the business students version the next semester. And it was such a good move because I aced that one. And yeah. I think that the work I had put into the computer science version, even though I was totally lost in it, doing that, then taking a break, then coming back to that subject was actually beneficial. Oh, you could, your brain could recognize little bits and pieces. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, I remember oh, that. That's what they were that talking about now that you've explained it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, even if you did bad, even if you failed a test, if you're failing assignments, if you're totally behind, if you drop, you can come back and try it again. And those initial efforts were not worthless. Like they actually were beneficial. And you're going to find that, okay, second time around, now I'm getting it. Now this stuff is easy. And I don't even think you need to drop and retake the next semester for that to happen. If you find that you're having difficulty in the class, for some people, including me in some cases, the first thought in your head is, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not going to do this. But the reality is, in most subjects, I think all of us have the potential to be good at it. It just doesn't come to us quickly the first time. So you fail an assignment, you fail a test, you come back, maybe get a tutor or go to office hours or just revisit that content in the book when you have some time, you're going to start to realize some things that you didn't realize before. You're going to start to stuff is going to stick out to you and you're going to realize like whatever connections in your brain needed to be there, they were partially built. And now the second time around, you're kind of, you're clinching them together. Yeah. All right. So dropping a class is an option sometimes, but there's mm -hmm. a deadline for that usually. Yeah. For us, it was like what, October, mid of, middle of October. So I just want to, I want to point out that there are other options. You can also take a class pass fail. I had to do that once. Oh, okay. That I, forgot I about believe that. has a different deadline. So it de really depends on what your graduation requirements are, because sometimes you can't take a certain class pass fail 
And what if you're trying to drop, what if it's a prerequisite for something that throws off your entire graduation plan? Yeah, that's true. What if it's, I'm, I just messed up business 101. I don't really know what that is, but I planned on taking 102 next semester and it was the foundation for everything that was going to put me through the next several years. Business 101 is how to wear a suit. Yeah. Business 102 is how to carry a Does it very look tasteful good? briefcase. Oh, you, you didn't get it tailored. And that's glasses. a C minus. Yep. 103 is how to drive the Lexus. Wow. But if you're not wearing the suit, you're not, you can look like a goofball in the Lexus. That's true. So come on. You're not going to get a good grade then. Come on. But yeah, that's actually a good question. Um, what do you do if it's a class that is part of your major path? Because then dropping it can throw off your entire semester plan and can cause you to graduate late. Yeah. You so may potentially, need classes or something. Yeah. So yeah, that's actually an option. The video that I'm currently writing, which will probably be out by the time this podcast goes out, is about what to do during the summer. And uh, one of the things I'm writing in there is like, I actually am not a fan of doing a full suite of summer classes. And by that, I don't mean like summer classes themselves are bad, but I know you some students like go like, I'm going to do full time. I'm just going to keep credits. going on. Yeah, in the summer. And I think summers, you know, breaks in particular, but especially your summer is the time for you to kind of fill in the gaps that your education, your academics can't fill in. It's like going to the gym, right? If you bench press every single day, you're going to go in the gym, you get chicken legs. And friends don't let friends skip leg day. And friends don't let friends spend all of their time studying and in classes. Like summer, I think, is a time for either personal projects or internships, traveling, all the kind of stuff like hands-on experience and, and new kinds of things that are going to round you out as a person, make you interesting, give you an advantage in whatever it is you want to do after school. Yeah, you know, make you interesting is a good point, too, because even your social life is an yeah. important thing. Your social skills are important. So if you're literally doing nothing but studying, trying to graduate with the top grades and you've done all this hard work, but mm -hmm. you can't walk into a room, walk up to somebody and introduce yourself, that's a skill that you could have been building that maybe would have paid off more. Yeah, exactly. So I don't want to discourage you from using summer classes as an option if you really need to drop a class that's going to screw up your entire, you know, four-year plan, but... I'm not a fan of using the summer to only do classes. Now, have you ever taken one? Have you ever taken a summer class? I have never taken a summer class. No. I, uh, I had friends who had. And I know you have, but you weren't taking like a ton. I only took one. I don't remember if I took two, but I would never take more than two mm -hmm. in the summer because it's also a time to work a lot, save up money and work on personal projects for me. Yeah. But if it's just one or two classes, maybe I took one summer class my very last summer because it let me graduate early. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So then you were cool. also working at the same time, too. Yeah. So I, I think that's totally fine. But uh, you're right. I would never go in there and take five or six classes in the summer. Yeah. But that's definitely, you know, regardless of my thoughts on that, using your summer to make up a class that you fell behind in during the semester is definitely an option. However, I think you need to place additional prioritization on those particular classes when it comes to getting help, when it comes to noticing when you're confused, noticing that you're getting behind. Like you should be kind of gauging your progress and your level of understanding in all of your classes as you go. But those are particularly important because it's hard to get a second shot at those kind of classes without either 
reducing your options in the summer or potentially having to stay later in college and pay more money. Yeah. You know, at this point, that triaging still works. You're just triaging classes. So if you're putting a lot of time into an elective and you're doing great in that elective, feel free to dial down that elective a little bit Mm -hmm. and put that back into your main class. This is same thing as with the homework assignments. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Maybe take that elective pass fail. Don't Mm -hmm. care what your grade is as long as you pass and then put all that time into your main class. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to drop the class that you're doing bad in. You may just need to drop a class to create space because remember, we're talking, you know, good, fast, cheap. Well, you need time to do your work and to have time to do good work in one area. You have to create space by eliminating other things. So whether that be an additional class that can be afforded to be cut and taken later or a club you're in or something like that, you can look at those things. I think the first thing to look at, though, is your efficiency. All of us procrastinate. All of us have inefficiencies in the way that we work. So my mind is not going to go immediately to, oh, my God, what class do I need to drop or what club do I need to drop? That's like an emergency. You're running out of time Mm -hmm. and I don't have time to troubleshoot my procrastination issues right Right. now. I just have to pass. So one semester I did drop my Hopkido class. Were you in a class or just a club? I was in a class. Okay. And I dropped it because... I needed the time for other things. I had filled my schedule a little too much that semester. Yeah. I took an astronomy class one semester and ended up dropping that for the exact same reason. It wasn't because I couldn't have done all those classes, but personally, I valued my part-time job and my clubs a little bit more than having all those classes. I guess my perception was, my, my part-time job is actually giving me experience in my major area because I'm working in tech support and my clubs are giving me leadership experience. And this astronomy class, while interesting, is something that I can read a book about or I can take later or heck, I could even take like a Coursera course on it sometime in the future. Like I have a lot of time to do this in the future. It's not really going to become a fundamental building block to anything else in my plan. So I made the decision to drop it. And I wasn't even doing bad in it. It was just like, this is, I feel too constricted in my schedule because of this. Yeah. And of course it doesn't have to be a class. It could be a club. It could be a part-time job that isn't really building experience. That's important. You could say, Hey, could I cut, I need to cut my hours down Mm -hmm. for this semester just a little bit. And let's see if we can work something out. You can take time from a lot of things if you're stretching yourself too thin and you're struggling in a course. Yeah. So before you decide to do something like that, what are some of the other problems and solutions that you should consider? Oh, yeah. So those are those are kind of I'm running out of time and my GPA is at stake here. Yeah. Solutions. Drop something. Make time. But you don't have to because, of course, like you said, we've got we've got our lack of focus, lack of discipline, procrastination issues we could troubleshoot. Mm-hmm. It could be coming from somewhere else. What if it's coming from anxiety, depression or health or family issues? Maybe your grade goals aren't reasonable. Maybe you're going to pass, but you're like, I need to get a 4.0 and I'm taking 90,000 credits. Maybe at that point, the limit is that's an unreasonable expectation for yourself. So there are a lot of other things that you can look at first. Now, I would say talking to your advisor is a decent idea Mm -hmm. because I didn't do that enough and that did cost me later on. Yeah, exactly. And your professor, you know, in general. I just read a book called A Mind for Numbers, which was, it's the book by Barbara Oakley. It's the the companion and I guess the inspiration for that learning how to learn course on Coursera. 
And in that book, there was like this checklist for exam preparation. And basically it was, it was a guest contribution to the book, I think. But the guy who wrote it was like, if you do bad in an exam, then run through this checklist and ask yourself, did I do all of these things? And if I didn't, then maybe that's the reason that I'm behind or not, not up to par with my knowledge. So I wanted to make a video on this. I'll probably put out some content on it eventually, but I know there were things like uh, having a study group, making sure that if there was a study guide, you went through that study guide, creating actual quizzes for yourself instead of passively reviewing material, you know, getting with a partner and studying together and going to see the professor. So really there is a tendency to, when the red flags go up and the emergency assignments go off in your head, think, oh man, I got to drop classes or something's really wrong. Um, just calm down, step back for a second and ask yourself, am I doing all of the most efficient things I can be doing with my learning? And if not, can I make some changes in that area and hopefully still keep all of the balls I have in the air in the air instead of having to drop one? Yeah. Cool. Well, this was a shorter episode, but I think we have some like a good framework here. Yeah. For making some because, decisions. Because of course we can't necessarily give literally here's the solution to every possible problem that maybe you have. Yeah. It's... But, but the idea <laughs> is honestly, if I were having problems right now in my grades, mm -hmm. I would say first, how close are the deadlines for dropping and pass fail? How much time do I have before I have to think about, should I do that? If I right. have some time, I'm going to spend the next month or two working on my procrastination, my focus and my efficiency. But when it gets close to those deadlines, I need to be thinking, okay, is that working? Is it getting to the point where there's the point of no return here and I'm just going to have to fail one because that's not better. Mm -hmm. Oh, there is one thing I wanted to mention before we stop here. And uh, that's that when you talk to your professor, one thing you can do is potentially ask for either an extension on assignments if they have a policy that you lose points after the due date. In some cases, they may be nice and extend the due date and uh, give you full credit or maybe not dock as many points as they would have. Or you can ask for extra credit if you've got time to do it. And one, like my MIS class, the first one, I didn't always do the best on the tests. And that's because the tests were essentially trivia on everything ever in the class. <laughs> like there were questions on what was the processor number for the first Intel processor. And it was like 8080 or 8008. And like, I was like, I don't, that's a I'm good not thing. studying that. I don't want to remember that. So my test scores were decent, but not the best. I probably would have came out of the class with a B, but he offered extra credit and I jumped on basically every extra credit offer that I could get. And his biggest one was, uh, he was like, Hey, if you design a website for me, then you'll get a lot of extra credit. Not many people took him up on it, but I did. And then uh, later on, I had another class that said, Hey, your final project in this class is to design a website. So I kind of combined those two things together <laughs> yeah well that's a way to pull some time out of something else yeah that was really efficient you, actually you merged your efforts it was awesome and i got a lot of extra credit from that and then from some other things the only thing i didn't do was go take pictures of the cabbage patch doll at the intel processing facility <laughs> somebody actually did that first class once he was the kind of guy who would give out extra credit for a lot of things <laughs> and it seemed wacky at the time but i think a lot of those projects actually helped to help people learn things like that dude actually went to Intel's chip processing facility. That's a, that's a pretty good experience I mean, that, yeah, for MIS. That's that pretty cool. It maybe seems like it's pointless, but there's probably some wisdom hidden in there. Mm -hmm. 
And I guarantee you, I learned more from that website design project than I learned in the class. At least that I could use because yeah. the class was like, what is a customer management system? What is a, I don't know, a knowledge database, all these kind of things like, yeah, maybe if you come back to that part in your career later, you'll recognize it, but it's not the most usable information for most you, you students. You can't sell it right now. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to say, I want to pay you $20 an hour to keep telling me what a CRM is because I forget yeah. all the time. Well, it's a uh, customer relationship management and that'll be $20. Yeah. Good hey, deal. That's my career. I just define acronyms for people. Yeah. You're just a dictionary <laughs> man. Yeah. He's the TLA man. It's on my resume. TLA man. But no, like that, that project was insanely helpful. I learned the bulk of what I know about PHP from that project and uh, a lot more about just general web design. So definitely just communicate with your professor. Think of them as somebody who is invested in your success. I know it can be like scary when you're behind to talk to your professor because you feel like you're letting them down. But in my experience, most of them are understanding people. And maybe they'll call you a dingus or something. And maybe certain professors will say tough luck. But it doesn't really harm you in any tangible way to explain your situation, especially when you are communicating that you have taken it seriously now and that you're really willing to do the work to get back to where you should be. So that's what we got for you guys in this episode. If you want to find our show notes for this episode, then you can go over to CIGpodcast.com and click the episode 115 link on the page and you'll find all of those cool links to uh, everything we mentioned as well as links to rate and review the show on iTunes if you enjoy it. It's definitely a good way to show your support and help it grow. And that's all we got. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.